This morning we are looking into Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through the end of the chapter. We're uh, going to look at the half of this portion today, and the half of the other portion would be concluded at the retreat next Sunday. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through the end of the chapter. If you are there, would you all stand? Let us receive the word. Here is the word. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, and but he answered his father, look. These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. Father, this is your word. Jesus, this is your parable. This is your story. For people to hear and listen and be instructed, to learn and have this understanding 
of the truth that you are declaring. May your people be humble and open and just completely led by the Spirit that we will hear the truth that you desire, the same message, the lesson that Jesus designed for his people to hear, for them to repent, for them to believe, for them to live. Pray for your spirit to um, help your servant to deliver and help your people to receive and receive well. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. May be seated. Folks, this is a well-known story, isn't it? What do we call this? Well-known story. The parable of the prodigal son. Well-known story. And the person who is telling the story is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. And as always, when he speaks, when he teaches, when he speaks in a way that he does like this, in parable, there is always a lesson to be learned. And there is an intention behind it. And in this particular case, we will find out in chapter 15, uh, he's been teaching about the nature of the kingdom of God, what it is. Now, up to this point, the background, if we may just uh, understand it, the story that was leading up to this point was like this. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And this final journey to Jerusalem, this is final. This is going to be the last time Jesus will make his final journey for these Jewish holidays. Because in a few weeks, what will happen to him? He will give his life to be the God, to be that perfect sacrifice. He'll be crucified on the cross. Now, as he was traveling, there was a multitude following him. And therefore, as he frequently stops and he would teach, he will preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he will call on these people to repent and believe. This has been going on. And every time when Jesus stopped and preached, and when he, whenever he taught, there were the Pharisees, there were the scribes. What are they there for? To be inspired, to be transformed, and to hear and learn. No, that's not it. They were there to catch him. They were there to uh, discredit him, accuse him of wrongdoing. They're looking for a chance to destroy him, reason to do so. And even on this particular day, we, we see them as usual in verse 1 and 2 of the 15. Now, they were there. As Jesus was surrounded by tax collectors and sinners in verse 1 and 2, they were questioning Jesus' motive. Why is he there? Especially why is he there with the tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes? Why is he there with the sinners they want? This man receives sinners and eat with them. He hangs out with sinners. Why is he doing this? And then Jesus spoke. In chapter 15, before this particular parable, the parable of prodigal son, Jesus spoke two other parables. First one was the parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable of the lost coin. Both story, both parable emphasizes the joy of God as the seeker, the one who seeks 
and finds and rejoices. Both parables. And then we arrive at this particular parable, the parable of the prodigal son. Now, in the parable, we see three distinctive characters, right? Younger son, older son, and the father. Three. But whenever we read this story, I think our focus naturally goes to the younger one. And that's probably partially the reason why we call this the parable of the prodigal son. But I tell you, as Christians, we must pay closer attention to not to the younger son, but to the older one. And we will know why next Sunday. There is a lesson, huge lesson to be learned. However, the greatest emphasis, the focus out of these three characters must be put on not the sons, but on the father. The main character that we need to study and we need to understand is not the younger or older, but it is the father. And you will see that today and you will clearly see it next Sunday as well. We're going to take, that, uh, take this parable into uh, two parts and we're going to uh, examine uh, the, each story of two sons we have. Now, we call this prodigal, the parable of prodigal son, but why do we do that? Because I ask this question because you will never find a word prodigal in the text, can you? You won't see that word in there. But we call it prodigal son, a parable of a prodigal son then what does prodigal mean? Prodigal, that word prodigal, describes a person who is very wasteful. A person who is very self-indulgent. That's what prodigal means. And that word has been associated with this story because it accurately portrays this young man and how he behaves. Now, the story, let's get into it in verse 11. It begins like this. There was a man, there was a father who had two sons. And then the focus quickly shifts to the younger one. And this younger son came to his father and said, Father, give me my share of the property. Give me my share of inheritance that is coming to me. Give me my, what I am entitled to, right? Church, at this point, I really want you to realize how crazy this thing was, this request, how outrageous the younger son's request was. This was truly outrageous thing to say from a son to a father. This is a shameful thing to say, completely disrespectful, dishonorable. Obviously, there is no love, no respect to the father from a son. And obviously, there is no gratitude to the father for all that he has done already up to this point. All these years, he's been loving on him, caring for him, raising him, providing for him. No gratitude whatsoever can be found. This is shocking, outrageous. Now, let's think about it for a moment. When do you normally receive inheritance, your share, your rightful share of inheritance from your parents? When do you normally receive that? 
when they pass away, when they pass away, when they die, you get that, right? It was true now, and it was true then. That's how it works. You receive your portion of inheritance, your share, when your parents pass away. That's how it goes. But having said that, then what is this younger son actually, in fact, saying, in fact, requesting? It's not, it's just more than money. And in reality, the younger son is saying to his father, Father, you're in my way. I can't wait for you to die. I want what's my share, what I'm entitled to. I wish you were dead. You're in my way. I want my share. I want my freedom. I got plans. I want pla- I, I got place to be, things to do. I want to live my life as I want to. So I want my share, and I want it now. Nothing personal. I got to live. I just want my share, what is rightfully mine. And as he was saying this, he's also saying, I can't wait for you to collapse and die. I wish you're dead so I can get mine. But I can't, so I'm asking you. It's shocking. It's outrageous, especially in a culture that is built upon the Ten Commandments. Think about it. God declared first four with vertical relationship with him and his people. And then the very first thing that he gave, that six other out of the ten, the very first one about that horizontal relationship, people to people, the first one he addressed was about the parent to children relationship. Honor your father, honor your mother, God said. And this society, this nation was built upon the Ten Commandments. It's unthinkable. It's outrageous. It is not to mention just shameless. Now, imagine what the reaction was as Jesus was telling the story. Everyone who are listening, this they are shocked. This is just crazy, outrageous. Because Jesus is speaking to who? To the Jews. They're shocked, including the Pharisees, including the scribes, the scholars. They're shocked. No. The younger son can't be saying that. No, who is this? Is this a real story, Jesus? Are you telling this story? Who would do this, such a thing? It's the reaction. This is unthinkable. You you have to understand that. It's a shocking story to anyone. It's not so shocking nowadays. It's not so shocking nowadays, unfortunately. This thing, this type of thing has been going on in our society, in our culture. But it is so difficult for these people to hear and imagine such a case can't actually exist. Imagine how devastated, heartbroken the father probably was. This has to be so hard on father, his own son, whom he loved. 
whom he cared for, raised since he was born. He is now requesting to end the relationship. He is now here to reject the love that he no longer wants from the Father. He doesn't want him as a father anymore. He doesn't want to be a son anymore. Let's end this. Now, what would you do if you were a father? You got a couple fathers here. What would you do? I, I can't imagine what I will do. I, I have a few ideas. <laughs> but I, I don't know how I can recover from it. But let's look at it. What did this father do? Immediately, it says, and he divided his property between them. There is no debating. There is no arguing. There is no persuasion. Not so, because his son requested, because his son asked for his share, what happened? So the father gave. The father gave what he wanted. As much as the request was shocking, right? It's shocking. But what's even more shocking or equally shocking is the father's reaction, his response. He will give. He will oblige. It's shocking. No, I'm not that. You don't deserve this. Jewish father has every power to do that. But he said, here is your answer. Imagine the father's heart. What he was going through. How painful, how agonizing it was for him to go through this. He was rejected by his own son. His own son wishes to be his son no more. Father's love for his son was completely rejected and shattered. Yet the father still loved his son. The son did not love the father, but father cared for him. The son did not care for the father. The son did not want to have a relationship with his father. But father still yearned and longed for that relationship. Did I say Jesus has an intention? Lesson to be learned here. Every parable, right? What's the lesson? This is a parable you can see. Can you see God in this parable? Can you see God's people in this parable? Can you see how God so loved the world? How he cares for his people to the point that he will send his one and only son to die for them, to restore them, to love on them? Yet how the world would reject his love and how they don't care for God and his kingdom? Can we see that in this parable? Yes, you can. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching here. A few days later, the text says, not long after he received his share, the younger son took off. He gathered all he had, all he had received from the father. He gathered it. He left the town. Probably he sold everything that he received. He cashed it out and took off to a distant country. We don't know exactly where that is, but my guess is 
definitely outside of the nation of Israel, not in Israel, but in, in the obviously Gentile world. Now, at this point, another thought that we need to have is this. Where was the older one? Now, as this was going on, request, division, and given, and he took off. All right, during that entire time, where is the older son? I'm the older of two, right? I have younger brother. If this were to happen, then I would stand up and say a few choice words to my brother. Are you nuts? Are you crazy? What are you doing? You're old enough to know you can't be doing and saying these things. Are you serious? Where was he? All these are happening. Where was he? Look at it in verse, at the end of the verse 11. You got to re realize this. The father divided his property between them, between the two. So when the younger one received his share, the older one received his share as well. Did he object? No, father, you are still well and healthy. You're alive. I, you don't have to give me your share. I don't want to receive this. He object. He fought. He put some sense into his younger one. No. What did he do? He didn't do anything. He just received. He didn't do anything. He didn't stand up and defend his father, rebuke his younger brother, talk some sentence to him. None of that happened. Why? Because you will find out next Sunday, he's just as bad, if not worse. He was just happy. He didn't say it. What the younger son said, he wanted to say it. He didn't say it. When it became public, when the younger one said, no review, nothing. You know, now that you said it, now that it's out in the public, maybe. I'll go with it. He was just happy that he got his share. He didn't return it to his father, did he? stayed home, stayed with the father, not because for the father or of the father, but because of himself. Keep that thought in you for a week. Now, let's see what happened to this prodigal son. We know that story. He left to a distant country. What did he do? The Bible says he squandered, squandered his wealth in reckless living. What is squandering? Squandering simply means to scatter. So he scattered all his money. He wasted it all. He threw it all away, and he wasted it. On, ver on uh, verse 30, the older brother actually said this. Your son, look, your son, your, my younger brother has devoured your pro property, the money, the wealth, with prostitutes. So what kind of life did he live, the younger one? He lived an immoral, reckless, wasteful, godless life. So he spent it all. And he had considerable amount of money, but it went quickly away, and he ran out. And to make the matter even worse, there was a severe famine, Bible says. 
Now, whenever the Bible talks about severe famine, it's pretty severe to the point that people are dying, there's nothing to eat, so therefore they are fighting for food. It's that severe. So now, to say the least, his life is just miserable. This is not how he lived. This is not how he grew up. This is new to him. He lived in a very fancy, well-established, wealthy home and got the money. He spent it off for however long it took, and he lived. I mean, lived this life, right? Now, he is, he got nothing, nothing. He's miserable. He's desperate. He's dying in hunger. He's a young man who thought he had it all. He didn't care about anyone else. He didn't care about his father, his brother, his family, his reputation, nothing. He cared one thing, and that's him, all about him. Now that his money's gone, nobody cares for him. Nobody gives a blip about him. While he had money, there are people living off of him, popping it up, and being his best friend. Now that he was so broke, there was nobody. Because he was nobody. He was alone and hungry. So he decided to come back home. Did he? No. Nope. He didn't, he didn't come home. He still was not ready to come home. Maybe he was still too proud to come home. Maybe he was too afraid to come home and face the consequences, to see his father, to deal with the family, to deal with the community. For whatever reason, he refused to come home, but decided to get a job. He never had a job. Can you imagine? He never, ever, for his entire life up to this point, lifted a finger to earn a living. He decided to get a job. What was his job? Or he's so qualified, so skilled, that he can do and get a job, whatever, wherever he wants? No. He knows nothing. He's a little guy, you know, in, in the greenhouse, pampered and raised. Everything that he needed was there. So what was his job? He was to feed pigs. Pigs. Now, this was like, for us, like, oh, man, that's bad, right? Feeding pigs. Have you been to a farm near the pigs? I have. That smell, <laughs> that environment, that, you know, that you have to actually shovel their stuff. I mean, that's a daily routine. Now, this image, this particular image, is very sad to us, but even more sad to the listeners, Jewish listeners. Pigs, unclean, defiled animal. And he is out in the Gentile, foreign, unclean land and serving, working for Gentile boss, master. He enslaved himself in order to survive. This is Particularly sad, sad scene for who? For the Jewish people. 
And it gets worse. As Jesus tells the story, as he was feeding pigs, he was so hungry, he was thinking about what? Eating what they were eating. Now, I'm, I'm mostly a city boy, but there were a time or two that I went to see my grand, grandmother on a countryside, and she had some pigs, not many, but maybe four or five, right? And I helped her feed pigs. You know what you do? You grab all these trash, garbage, pill, peels of the vegetables, leftover stuff on the table, and you put that in a big pot, pour some water, and you boil it. And then you let it cool down, and then you feed that to pigs. It looks so appetizing, smells wonderful, tastes even better. All lies, right? I smelled it. Ah, it was too bad, but it looks horrible. I don't know how that tastes. I never tried it. Why would you, right? But as you scoop it and dump it, Pigs will just run over and just have just fun. Enough time. I mean, it goes so quick. They love it. They don't care. There are pigs. <laughs> That's what Jesus was describing. He was so hungry that he was willing to eat what the pigs were eating. And he was raised in Jewish community. He never touched pigs, never went close to the pigs, never even thought of crossing his mind that I would like to eat that. That's how desperate his situation was. He was so hungry. He's so desperate. He would eat that garbage. The pigs were eating. To say the least, he was at the lowest point of his life. He was all alone in the foreign land, enslaved himself, no one there to talk to him, no one there to save him, help him. And then he finally realized, in verse 17, it says, when he came to himself, NIV will say, when he came to his, finally came to his senses. When he was at the lowest point of his life, he can't get any lower than where he was, he came to his senses. And that's so true. We do that to ourselves. We don't come to our senses until we can't go anymore. We can't destroy our lives anymore. Now you realize. Now you come to your senses. When he was wasting, squandering his father's wealth away on the pleasures of this world, he was not on his senses. He was not to himself. He was not thinking about his father. But when he had nothing, when he was desperate, when he was dying in hunger, he finally realized, finally he came to his senses and he says this. How many of my father's higher servants have more than enough bread, but I perish, I die here with hunger. Everyone 
After his shameless request and his rebellion, he finally came to his shameful reality. He realized where he was. And what does he say in verse 18 and 19? This is what he says. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against God, sinned against heaven, and sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your higher servants. I am not worthy to be your son. I don't deserve. What I've done is so terrible, I don't deserve your forgiveness. Have me back as a servant, not as your son. What we see here is just contrite heart, the remorseful heart that was filled with shame, shame from his own doing, especially against his father. Church, right here, we can learn something about repentance. This is where we can understand what repentance is. You know, I, I spoke to, uh, spoke about this, the definition of repentance. Repentance is this, right? By definition, you're walking this way, and you realize that you are walking on the wrong path, wrong way, and you hit the brake because you realize you're on the wrong way, and you make a turn. Because you are on the wrong way, wrong path, you, it was so shocking, it's so devastating. Now, you turn the other way, 180 around, and you start running away, far, far away from that point. That's repentance. You know how that repentance begins? You know how it begins? The repentance, true repentance, that turnaround and running away from it, it begins from an accurate, honest assessment of your current condition. For you to truly repent, you need to know truly where you are and what you are. And you need to clearly and honestly know your situation, your condition. And the prodigal son did. He came to his senses and realized what he, where he was, what he was, clearly knew his condition. He has sinned against God, sinned against his father. He has nothing left. He is all alone. He's dying, in fact, in hunger. He knew his life would end soon. He was completely broken. He had nowhere to go, no one to turn to, nothing in his possession. Nothing to boast, nothing to trust. And in his desperation, he came, truly came to his senses. And then he repented. He repented from his action. Then he says, I'm a sinner. I can't be my father's son. I disrespected him. I shamed him. I am not worthy to be his son. And maybe, maybe if he accepts him, maybe I can be his servant. And he's on his way back home. And if his father is willing to receive him, 
he is willing to put himself at the mercy of the Father. He is willing to make his way back home, earn his grace, earn his mercy again. That's repentance. With honest, accurate assessment of oneself, without any excuses, without any compromise, any blames on anybody or anything but himself. And ultimately placing oneself at the mercy of God, my friends, that is repentance. We all know what happened to the son. We'll get to that. But to amplify that, you need to know how it works back in the Jewish days. You need to understand Jewish traditional way, in this case, just how, what needs to happen for that repentance to be actualized. In such case like this, father would have every right to refuse to talk to a son, see a son. What he will normally do is just not in his property. Outside the city gate, he will sit there, wait until father said, go ahead and talk to me. He's out there in the city gate. He can't even come into the town. People will walk by him daily, ridicule him, shame him, know clearly what he did to his father. He's a sinner. He is just not worth speaking to. No one talks to him. No one gives him anything to drink or eat. Nothing happens. And when that all that happens, after a certain period, the father deemed he's good enough to talk to, and he will talk to him. This is what you have to do. This is what you're going to do and how long you're going to do it in order to prove that you are repenting, that you are willing to change. That what you are doing and saying is in fact true. And when you do this on my term, you pay back everything that you have done. Then and only then, you're going to be reconciled back to me. Then you're going to be my son. That's how much power Jewish dad has. That's how it was. This is the Jewish understanding of repentance. For them, talk is cheap. For them, the repentance was work. The person needed to show, to earn the favor that he desires. That's repentance for them. That's another lesson Jesus is teaching here. What happens? What happens to the prodigal son? He's on the way to his back. And the Bible says, while he was still a long way off, what happened? The father saw him. The son did not see the father first. The father saw the son first. How can a father see the son first before he does? Because he was waiting. Because he was looking. He was searching for his son, waiting, concerned for his son. He's been looking for it and waiting for his son. Maybe he already knew, the father already knew the kind of trouble that he, he's one day going to get into. He knew there is a famine. 
He's worried, sick, concerned for his son. After all that he has done, he is out there concerned and waiting for him. So he was looking and looking. All the pain, all the shame he had caused. The father still loved the son. The word said, as soon as he saw him, again, he was filled with compassion. Not anger, not rage. He was filled with what? Compassion. As soon as he saw the son, his father was filled with love for his son. When the father saw his son from distance, he started running. This is not the typical Jewish father, as I mentioned. He's running towards the son. And when he got there, embraced, hugged, kissed. The father does not care about the culture, about tradition, what the people might say who are looking at him as this was happening. He does not care less about what people might say about him or about his son. He doesn't care about the pain that he caused, shame that he brought. Only thing he cares is about his son. My son is back. My son is alive and well. I have him back. And that's all that matters to this father. Why? Because he loves him. Verse 21. The son said to the father, he's going to say, he's going to follow through. This is what I'm going to say to my father. And he does say it. Father, I have sinned against heaven, sinned against God. Because he clearly knows the Ten Commandments, right? I sinned against God. I sinned against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But he leaves something off. What's that? Make me your higher servant. Make me a servant. He leaves that off. He doesn't say that line. Right? He left that off. Why? Because he didn't have to. He didn't have to tell him. As he ran towards him, as he hugged him, embraced him, kissed him, he knew he didn't have to. He knew he was forgiven. He knew his father just as soon as he received his father's loving embrace, he knew he was forgiven. He knew. He didn't have to say that and become his, his servant. The father yelled at his servant, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put rings on his uh, fingers and bring sandals on his feet. He is not one of you. He's my son. And he elevates him right off the bat. He received grace and mercy right there, right then. He received forgiveness right there, right then. He was forgiven. He didn't have to work for it like he had to, traditionally speak. He had to prove himself that he is saying real repentance. He didn't have to. The father ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, and took away his shame, and he he restored him as his son, and he began to celebrate. 
father's love for his son, this prodigal son, remained the same. What's the lesson? Your God, the kingdom of God. Do you know your father? Do you know your father's love for you? You say, oh yeah, I know God loves me. Do you? Do you know how much he loves you? Knowing who you are and what you do in daily basis, do you know how he loves you? How he loves sinners like you and me. He loves you with overwhelming. He loves you with never ending this unthinkable, reckless, does not make sense type of love. He will give himself away for you. He will chase after you. He will come after you. He will wait for you no matter how long it takes. He waits, waits, and he will run through anyone, anything to save you, claim you, restore you. He will bear your shame. And he will embrace you, call you son, call you daughter. And he will celebrate. He will sing over you. Our God, your Father in heaven, is not a reluctant Father. Make that very clear. He's not a reluctant Savior. He runs to you, to the sinners, with open arms, with no questions. He is filled with love and grace and mercy. He is ready to, quick to forgive and restore. He is gentle. He is lowly. That is our Father. And my friends, do you know Him? Do you know His love for you? I pray that you do. I pray that you will know the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, that you will understand the power of forgiveness, power of grace that is already yours. We're not perfect, are we? By no means. Yet God is always waiting. God is always looking from distance for us to return, for us to confess our sin, for us to come home to Him. And as you turn, truly repent from your ways. When you turn and you come home, He's ready and waiting and eager to embrace you, forgive you, restore you, take your shame on Himself, And he will sing over you. He's good and gracious God, is he not? Amen. He's merciful. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's forgiving. How he loves you and I. How he loves you and I.
And how can we not love him back? Prodigal son. We'll conclude this story next Sunday. Um, but meanwhile, just think about it. Think about what we talked about. We become the prodigal one often. And you will find out how often we are the older son. The father's heart remains the same. His love remains the same. What we need to do is examination, true examination. No compromise. No excuses. Because what we need is father's embrace, his love. But if you do not come to your senses, and if you dig and dig and dig and you realize that what you are doing where you are is okay and you compromise long enough and you, are, uh, you shut down the things, your senses, what the Spirit is speaking to you long enough, you have to hit the rock bottom. That's not what God desires. The moment you realize, the moment you are aware, what He desires is you to turn. The moment you turn, that's all there is to do. Because he knows he's already waiting and looking for you. That is God's love. Will you give yourself to him, to his love? Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for our time. Thank you for the message. This is how Jesus, the Son, teaches how, the, how things are in the kingdom of God, how things are, what God does, what His heart, really how it operates. The lesson is for His people to learn. To learn and know how his fa our Father's heart is like. Father, help us, Spirit, help us to see how desperately we are in need of Father's love. How desperate we are without you. Things that we trust and things that we rely on here on, here on this world. In quick snap of finger, it could disappear, whether it's our money, health, reputation, glory and honor even our relationship, it could turn a worse turn in a quickest manner. Yet God, you remain. Your love remain. May we realize what we need desperately is you and your love in our lives. Help us to come to our senses. By the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, the helper in the Holy Spirit, each and every day, speaking to us, navigating, helping us to navigate this life. May we see your love each and every day. May we live in your love each and every day. Help us to come home each and every day to the loving Father. Pray that you would grant your people wonderful, blessed week in the Lord. 
And as we pray together and as we look forward to uh, the time of the of rejuvenation spiritually, emotionally, physically at the retreat, we pray that you will bless that time and may your people have great expectation for you to reveal your truth and yourself to us, to bless us. Father, we pray that you will go with us, go before us, bless your people. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.